Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome again to Morrison Hill Christian Church. We're so thankful that you're here this morning. We, we don't take it for granted. We understand that here in our culture today in America, it's no longer the thing to do. It's no longer cool. It's no longer the given that you plan your life around Sunday mornings. So when we see that you actually made the time, you did whatever it took to show up here, that, that excites us because we believe God has led us to lead you to him. And we can't do that if you're not here. We can't do that. We can't lead you in worship. We can't serve you around his table or give you a chance to give toward his kingdom or walk you through the scriptures unless you're here. So thank you for joining us. I I say that in all sincerity and with joy. I'm so thankful that you're here this morning. Um, What we're doing, we're the fourth week into a series called What God Wants. We're looking at his moral boundaries, but from a truly biblical perspective, which is that God is much more about the do's than about the don'ts. Make no mistake, I'll say this every single one of these weeks and you'll hear it again later. This is so clear. God is absolutely serious about the nose. The things he says don't do, he means don't do. And he's serious about it and there's consequences when we fail. However, what he's really wanting, the reason all the no's and the do's are there for the things he loves, the things he wants. And that's what we're concentrating on today. And especially today we're looking at the idea of humility. And humility basically is just this concept, this perspective on life where we, we, we know that God is in control. At least that's where it starts. It's way bigger than that. And you'll see that in a moment. But here's one more truth that is kind of helping us unlock God's moral boundaries together this season. Things work best when they do what they were designed to do the way they were designed to do them. Let me say it one more time. Things work best when they do what they were designed to do the way they were designed to to do them. And humility is, starts with just recognizing that God is our designer, that God is the creator of this whole universe, and that ultimately whatever he says is what needs to be the basis of whatever else we believe and whatever else we do about that. If you would, if you were here this week or if you grew up seeing this song like I did, or if, you just, if you're just feeling really bold and you just want to try it, would you sing this song with me? One of the little key keyhole ideas that we're threading through this whole thing is Micah 6 8 and I'd like you to sing that with me this morning just jump right in the little ellipses mean you echo and the the gold stuff is what we sing together here we go he has shown thee oh man what is good and what the Lord requires of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Hey, that was beautiful. Let's try it one more time. I'm going to pitch it just a little lower. Do that every time. He has shown, there we go. He has shown thee, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. 
So the last several weeks we've been walking through what it means to, to look to God as the ultimate source of truth, what he means by justice, what he means by mercy. And this morning we're looking at what a biblical perspective on humility truly is. And ultimately, what we normally think of humility today is just the shallow end or the kiddie pool version of what biblical humility is. It's not that it's wrong, it's just it's almost a symptom of the real thing. It's more of a side effect. Maybe that's a better word than symptom. But here's what I mean by that. More, normally when we think of humility, we mean that somebody's really good at something, but they don't brag. Or somebody, you give somebody a compliment and they go, oh shucks, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's, that's part of it. Really, truly humble people, they're not about themselves. And, and when you say, hey, great job, they don't go, I know, right? I'm killing it today. Okay, obviously, obviously that's, that's real. But that's just kind of the surface. Humility really is about strategic teamwork. If you'd say that out loud, I'd appreciate that. Biblical humility is all about strategic teamwork may sound counterintuitive, but it's going to make more sense in a second. Here, here's how this works. Truly humble people, they believe in their cause. Not so much in themselves, but in their cause. And they believe in their team. And they believe that what they're doing is important. They believe that their team is capable of doing that. And so that inspires them to play their own parts well. They are always inspired to do their very best, to never stop learning, and they work hard to help others win as well. Truly humble people are not just really good at something all by themselves and then going, oh, don't praise me, just praise God. That's, that's the surface of that. What they're really about is, instead of about themselves, they're about serving God and helping others do that. It's a, and, and they're trying to help everybody find, what did God give you? What are you better at than I am? What, what could you do? How can we plug you in? How can we give God the most glory together? Here's one more thing I need you to say out loud. I won't make you do every single one of these slides together, but some of these are big. I want it to sink in. Here we go. We must follow and lead well. One more time. We must follow and lead well. Humble people also understand this concept. No matter who you are and where you are in life, you're going to be leading somebody even if you don't realize that. Somebody is watching your example. Somebody is looking what you post on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you post stuff. Somebody is watching how you speak, watching what you watch, watching what you do. Somebody, probably in the government somewhere, but somebody's tracking what you do online. Are you with me on this? I'm serious. Like somebody knows all the time and you're influencing people for good or for bad some of us have we're, we're paid to be leaders of some sort some of us just find ourselves in those situations all the time because that's how God gifted us but all of us all of us have some sort of influence on someone we're always leading and we've got to do that well that's part of being humble is actually accepting that responsibility and the other side of being humble is being willing to follow. No matter how many people are behind you, there's always somebody in front of you. There's always somebody better than you. There's already somebody in authority over you, some truth, some responsibility, some moral imperative that God put in place that you are accountable to. And when you're, when you're humble, you understand this. In the biblical sense, you get all of this. It's, it's not about getting to the top. It's just playing the part that you're given well. 
One of the best people at this in the Bible is Joshua. I, I love Joshua. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, we first meet him by name in Exodus chapter 17. And as with all these scriptures I will reference today, they're in the handout and there's also more. My dream and prayer is always that you take these home and actually read them alone and let God like really dig this deep into your heart and tell you things I haven't thought of. But in Exodus 17, we first meet him by name. It's a really cool story where God is uh, leading the Israelites into battle against the Amalekites. And Moses is told that he has to raise his staff up in the air, up on this mountain. And as long as the staff is up in the air, that they will continue to win. If he sets it down, they'll start to lose. It's a really cool, humble moment for Moses because he goes, okay, here's the thing. I need to get this job done. But the important thing is not for everybody here to know how strong I am and how much endurance I have. The important thing is that I keep the stick in the air. So he gets some help. He gets his brother Aaron. He gets another guy by, named Her, And between the three of them, they keep this thing up in the air all day. And then it casually mentions that he sends his personal assistant, his personal servant, Joshua, out to lead the people in the actual battle, which they win, by the way. We see him a couple more times throughout the story. He eventually gets his own book, Joshua, but we see him in Exodus uh, 24 and 32 and everywhere in between. He actually goes up on the mountain with Moses to get the Ten Commandments. As they're coming back down and the people are worshiping the golden calf, it's Joshua that goes, hey, what's that noise? Is there a battle? And, and Moses goes, no, I think that's a celebration of some sort. And you know the rest of that story. One of my favorite little snapshots of Joshua, and I think it may be the most important one, for us to really understand why he was so humble and why he was so effective, is in Exodus 33. And in this passage, it's telling us about how Moses would regularly go to communicate with God in the tent of meeting. And God would directly communicate with him, but Joshua went with him as well. Here's just a few uh, lines from that passage. It says, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So he had this personal relationship with God. Nobody talked about it. Everybody talked about Moses and how God talked to him like the one talks to a friend. Joshua did the same thing alone afterwards. Didn't get any extra credit for it, but he didn't care. That's not why he was there. He was just there to talk to God. And when Moses was done, he waited his turn and he spent some extra time with God. In Numbers 13 and 14, Joshua and Caleb were the two of 12 spies who voted to invade Canaan just like God had promised he would let them do, commanded them to do. They were the ones who absolutely um, got it. They were asking how and why, not if they were going to obey God. They almost got stoned to death for it. And not the taking drugs kind of stoned either, like throwing stones at people, killing them kind of stoned. Yeah, that's the worst kind. Not the other kind's good, I'm just saying. But he fought the battle of Jericho and all the other things that we know he did. And here's the thing. He was the ultimate servant and the perfect spy and just a general awesome guy at every role he played. And for all the same reasons. He was brave and successful and a mighty warrior and a great leader because he trusted God. 
Because he humbly played every role he was given to the best of his ability because he believed in the cause and believed in God and he believed in the team. He believed he was leading the people of God. And therefore he found all of the bravery and all the courage and all the direct help from God that he needed along the way. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. And I really believe that. God's dream is not just that we sit at home and whatever we're thinking about, it's not about us. He wants us to be all about his stuff and all about serving others. And we don't have time to worry about how we're feeling about it or what we're doing about it or, or whatever else or making sure somebody's meeting our needs. All of our needs are important. Somebody's out there supposed to be serving you. But true, hu truly humble people are just consumed with God's purposes and the needs of the people around them. Let's say this one out loud too, if you would. We must do our best and never stop learning. Let's say it one more time. We must do our best and never stop learning. Another thing that just shuts down growth of any kind, progress, I don't care if you are a ball team or a band or if you are an artist or you're a writer or anything you ever do, spiritually or any, any kind of thing ever, the minute that you say, I got this now, I don't need to learn anything, I have made it, I am at the top of this heap and buddy, if you want advice, come to me, but please don't offer me any. I've got it now. That's the moment you start dying. That's the moment the world starts moving on without you. Truly humble people, no matter how great they become, how much they learn, how much they have continued to learn and learn and learn and learn, they keep that process going. They understand that the world keeps changing around them. They understand that nobody, no human being, actually really has it all together. I believe that's one of the many, many things that Jesus embedded in that beautiful metaphor of a garden in John 15 that we keep looking at. That idea that God, the gardener, keeps pruning us, the branches, is such a crucial image that he's trying to make us grow even more. He's never satisfied. It's not that he doesn't love us. It's not that he's not pleased. It's not that he doesn't accept us to be engrafted into himself however we are that day but he expects fruit he expects us to grow he expects stuff on the other side and he's going to keep tweaking and he's going to keep messing with it and when we submit to that that's humility one, one of the things I pointed out every single week we'll, we'll do again for just a couple last more weeks but those little branches we call them branches but they're really just little twigs they're not good for anything. And Jesus meant that. But his dream was not that we get all depressed and give up because we're such wimpy little twiggy things. His dream was that we trade our delusions of grandeur for our true potential, which is greater and bigger than anything we've imagined for ourselves. When we team up with God, when we team up, when we connect to the true vine, when we fully submit to the will of the gardener, when we are supported not only by all of the other branches, but even somewhat by the fruit that we are growing together as it all grows and as it all gets bigger, as that it happens, as that increases, we can accomplish things that we could never accomplish alone, no matter how arrogantly or how boldly we approached our own dreams. 
One of my favorite stories, you've probably heard me tell it several times if you've been here for a while. And I'll keep telling it because I love this story. It's just great. But it's Abraham Lincoln in the middle of the Civil War. Somebody came to him and they asked him, um, Mr. President, do you believe that God is on our side, the side of the North? And his reply was, sir, my greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. There's so many great things in that. First thing, isn't it cool to hear someone that's in leadership in the government calling someone else sir? That doesn't happen very often in America anymore, and I love that. That's pretty neat. I love that they call him Mr. President in that story, and I love that he calls them sir. What a blessing. I wish it was more like that. Except I I got really excited about that when I was going to say that out loud, and then I realized, yeah, but that was in the middle of a straight-up civil war. So maybe things weren't always as good as we remember them to be. But we should be humble. Are you hearing me on this for a second? You're never going to hear politics from me, ever. But the kingdom of God should be influencing this country. We should always be modeling respect for those who are in authority over us and those who are under us in authority. We should always be modeling this. But what I love even more than that is his actual statement, my greatest concern is to be on God's side for God is always right. Whenever, no matter how great your plans are, no matter how great my plans are, if all we want is for God to have our back, we're missing something really, really important. We should have God's back. That's how it works. That's actually what our logo is about as a church. You've probably seen this bird a lot of different places. Um, There's a lot of free versions of it out there at the Welcome Center. Um, Little buttons, stickers, random things like that. Just in case you don't know what that means, it actually means that we're humbling ourselves before God in these same ways. The reason the bird has four feathers on its wing and four feathers on its tail is because Jesus gave us four key things to do. And this isn't just Morrison Hill. We're just saying we want Morrison Hill to submit to this dream of Jesus's. That's to go into all the world, to make disciples of every nation, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that he had commanded. And we believe that he will keep his promise if we do that, that he will always be with us. The reason the Triketra, the Trinity symbol is in the middle is because everything we do in one way or another obviously is centered on God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we were also made in his image and every relationship he creates, for example, marriage is God and a husband and a wife. And Every single one of them, however it works, is God and some sort of a mentor or leader and somebody else. God and you and me. One way or another, that idea of three is how healthy relationships work. And we are trying to submit to that. And the reason that it's a bird is because over and over in Scripture, you see birds just kind of show up when somebody is really trusting God. And what we believe is that God will guide us and provide for us when we trust and obey. God will guide and provide when we trust and obey. And all that swirled around, that's not just the story of Morrison Hill Christian Church, but that's the story we're we're submitting to. That's the story we're saying, this is what we want to be a part of. This This is the story of every healthy church on the planet. This is the story of God's ever expanding kingdom on this earth. That's what we're here for. Amen? John 14, 21, Jesus says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. 
And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Jesus not only modeled humility and kind of subtly said it in many ways, but he straight up just taught it very clearly several times. Mark 9, he sat down, he called the 12 disciples over to him. Excuse me. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. In Mark 10, there's the story where James and John and their mom come to Jesus and they want to make sure that they get to be his second and third in command when his kingdom starts. Jesus takes a moment to let him know, hey, um, I'm actually going to have to suffer a lot before that happens. I don't, think you, I don't think you really know how this is going to happen. But also, he gathers everybody around and says it again. You know, says Jesus, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. St. Augustine wrote, It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. And just like the devil is the ultimate example of what happens when we give over to pride. When we completely say, hey, it's all about me, no matter the consequences. The devil is kind of the ultimate example of that. And the bad consequences that come with that. And all the people that end up following us in that terrible direction. But Jesus is the ultimate example in the other direction. In Isaiah, he's called the suffering servant and the rescuer of Israel. In Philippians 2, Paul just straight up says that is how we have to live our life, like Jesus, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Took on the form of a servant, became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has given him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our example. That's who we're trying to follow. And to do that, we need each other. We not only need God himself leading the charge, we not only need to individually keep submitting to God, but we need each other as well. Here's one more thing I need you to say out loud with me. We must work together and never give up. One more time. We must work together and never give up. As a unified team, we can actually get something done. But I also need you to notice that word work. There's all throughout the scriptures, no matter what else it's talking, here's another thread you see over and over, is God actually expects us to work. His dream is not that we just believe in the sense of that we accept something in our heads. He wants us to believe in something in the sense that we actually build our lives on that. That's what God always means by believe. And he expects actual physical work. Here's just a few examples from different places, Old and New Testament. Proverbs 13, 4. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. Proverbs 21, 25. Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin. For their hands refuse to work. 1 Corinthians 3.8 The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. 
Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Again, those are just a few examples. One more example that's a story is the story of Gideon. I love that guy. Uh, but when you first meet him, he's almost a caricature or a stereotype of what we normally, the shallow kitty into the pool version of humility we normally think of. He's literally keeping his head low. He's down in a hole when you first meet him. He's hiding from all the bullies. He's hiding from all the people. He's trying not to make waves. He's trying to stay as invisible as possible. Okay, okay, you're the boss. You're the boss. And that's pretty much his whole life at that moment. Until an angel shows up and calls him a mighty warrior. And he goes, are you kidding me? That's paraphrased slightly. But that's what happens. And then it goes on. I think you know this story. I know that Hill's going to be walking through that again really soon. It's a wonderful story. But what you see, here's what I'd like you to notice. is Step by step, what happens in that story is he, he trusts God just enough that he'll obey him. And God comes through. And so he trusts him just a little bit more and... He obeys and God comes through again. And he trusts him again. And, and God comes through again. And little by little he gets up enough confidence that he's actually going to do the big thing. He's going to attack the Midianites. And when that happens, he's got this army of like 32,000 people. And he thinks, all right, here we go. Here we go. I, I know there's way more of them, but we have God on our side. And then God takes them away. It's a really funny story. I wish I had time to retell the whole thing this morning. But I think you know it. But he ends up with 300 people. 300 people against hundreds of thousands. His vision dies. Now I'd like to share with you this morning. I, I know some of us even this week went through some things that were, that were similar to this. Where the way you think God's going to do something doesn't happen. The thing you thought was going to happen, the, thing you, the way you thought he was telling you something was going to happen isn't exactly what ended up happening. And so your vision kind of dies in the middle of it. I want to give you some hope this morning. God does that all the time. He does that all the time. He does that in almost all of these little stories if you look and squint just a little bit. Because he wants us to know that our power comes from him. And our power comes with teaming up with each other and getting through it. And our power comes from producing the fruit no matter what is going on. These, this, we are, that is what the truly humble people know. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. In my experience and in my study of the scriptures and in my talking to a lot of people that are wiser than me, here's something I've come to believe. Almost every single time when you pray for strength from God, when you pray for him to deliver you from temptation... The way he's going to do that is not to somehow give you some sort of magical, like spiritual spinach, like Popeye. Does anybody even remember Popeye besides me? You know what I'm talking about? Where you physically, you get stronger. What he normally does is connect you a little deeper to him and give you some other people around you that connect as well. That way out of that temptation is almost always connecting more deeply with Jesus and with the people around us. I really believe that. And, and that's what humility is. It's not about, oh, I got this. I got this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, baby. I'll face this one alone. That's just crazy. That's not brave. 
He will provide a way out, but most of the time the way out is him himself or some other people to come alongside you. Zig Ziglar said, humility will open more doors than arrogance ever will. Humility will open more doors than arrogance ever will. And that is, that is true. That just works on every level. Even if you're using the little kitty pool version of humility and just some random, you, you pick this situation, it's going to work. That's, that's true. People respond to humble people better than arrogant people most of the time. Is, are you with me on this? Is that true? Okay. However, dig a little deeper and that's the gospel. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. Does that sound familiar? And all the things that we do, all the works, every single thing that we make a big deal about doing, like the ones we just walked through with the logo, the reason baptism is a big deal to us, the reason evangelism is a big deal to us, the reason communion is a big deal, you just go down the list. It's, it's just because we're submitting to him. We approach him in humility. We go, you make the rules. We don't make the rules. That's it. We're just doing our best to do that. The gospel is you repent of your sins. You repent of being in control yourself. You get baptized. You live your life obediently following Jesus on purpose. You team up to produce fruit. You submit to the pruning that ever grow, always year after year, season after season pruning of the gardener. You keep growing. You keep serving. You do your very best. And humility also has to do with working with other people to team up to accomplish God's goals. Wonderful passage is Ephesians 4. It's written down in your handout, or you can maybe just remember that one thing, Ephesians 4. It's one other thing. It's a great passage that goes through a lot of these big ideas and, and, and a whole bunch of other just really practical information. And in the middle of it, it has this wonderful line. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is humility. Here's one more story and then a big challenge for you this morning. This one's just from my own life. There's Ransom's car. Um, we had some car trouble. Anybody else have car trouble recently? Okay, yeah, it happens. It happened to us too. Ransom's car is still kind of sitting there in that same spot. But the other day when it actually died, it was way out in the middle of our gravel parking lot and it, it, it was a really big problem. And, and Ransom and Justice and I went out and we tried to move it. And I've moved a lot of cars, and I'm, I'm a, I work out, and I'm a pretty strong guy, and I, I was like, yeah, we got this. Let me tell you, um, just a little life hack for you, uh, Volkswagen Passats are way heavier than they look. <laughs> way heavier. And so we're straining and fighting, and, and it's just it's starting to become like kind of testy, and it's not, a, it's not a fun experience. And there was a big part of me, I'm confessing this to you, there's a big part of me who's like, this car is not going to tell me no. We're going to do this. Boys, come on. You got more strength than you know. The three of us can do this. Come on. It's, look at this car. It's not that big. There was that, that, was, that was railing up inside of me. But I, I understood something, and I thank God that I did, because we might have hurt ourselves. <laughs> I remember this, if we waited just a few hours, the whole family would be home. So later on that night, the whole family was there. Kim got in, had the, had the steering wheel. All four boys and I, five guys, pushed it. Man, it, it took seconds. So just, whoop, there it is. And it's still there. But, you know, it got there a lot easier. That's humility. I'm not saying, look at me, look how awesome, you, humble I am. I just confess that actually I still wrestle with pride. 
But that's all it is. That's all it is. It's saying, hey, how can we work together to get this done? This thing needs done. How are we going to make it happen? Who's, who, who, who needs to stand where? How do we make this happen? Who needs to be in the driver's seat? Who needs to be pushing? Are you holding on to here? Or are you holding on to here? That's what it looks like. And that's all it is. It's simple. It's clear. And it's God's vision for his church. But it takes that first step of saying, okay, I'm not in control. God is. So here's the big challenge this morning. I'd like you to take just a moment. The band's going to come. But I'm going to ask you to take just one moment and actually write down one first step you're going to take in the direction of humility. Here's some options. Here's some things that you might need. There's going to be some people up here, even this morning, over in each corner and at the back that are there just to pray with you. Maybe that's really embarrassing for you. Maybe you'd love to have some actual, like, committed, experienced prayer warriors pray for you, but you're like, I don't want anybody looking at me. Uh, that's, I don't want them knowing my business. Maybe that's what you need to do is pray this morning. Maybe God's been convicting you that you need to get your kids or your teenagers more involved in our youth programs and, and connecting, making sure they're connecting with God and with other Christians. Maybe he's asking you to take your marriage to the next level or to connect with other singles more than you ever have. Maybe he's asking you to get more involved in a group or to serve some way. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus in the first place. You've never surrendered. You've never come to him and say, okay, fine, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it your way. Whatever you need to do that first step, I'm going to give you just a few seconds of just silence. I'd love for you to actually write down that step. And if it's something, whatever he's asking you to do this morning, if it's something you need to make public, please do that now. Have the courage to do it. We're going to just come around you. We're not going to look down on you. We're going to be really proud of you because you got it right. If it's something you need to do private, I hope you take this home and actually do it. Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening.